Good morning. Uh, Wonderful to be with you again. Let's just bow our heads in prayer for a moment. Lord God, we confess our need of you. Thank you, Lord, that you see us, that you understand us, that you know our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would show us afresh your love, your presence, that we might serve you better, more confidently, more surely. Glorify your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. The passage we just had read to us is a story, not a made-up story, but narrative. It's something that happened with people in it, people essentially like us, different clothes, uh, different language, different customs, but basically flesh and blood people like ourselves. And being a narrative, it doesn't give us commandments, it doesn't make promises, it's not a passage of teaching, it is an event. And if we're really going to get the most out of this, we need to engage with it with our imaginations. I hope you bring your imagination with you to church. Uh, You have permission to switch it on so long as it isn't taking you off out around the houses and around the world. Let's engage our imagination with this story. It starts with Jesus on the move. We've got to get a hold of this. He has been spending time in Galilee, teaching and preaching and touring around, and there has come a point where he said, this is it, we are going to Jerusalem. And he is travelling with intent and with purpose. So around him is a crowd of people. There are the twelve, the disciples who are with him. There is a group of women that travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And there are others, and it's it's quite an assembly of people. Now, I don't know if you were traumatised as young children by being in nativity plays, but hopefully it doesn't evoke any, you know, grievous memories. But imagine you have your tea towel on your head, and you are in that crowd. Whether you choose to put yourself in the inner circle with the disciples, or with the women who followed closely, or with that wider crowd of people, you're in that crowd. Jericho is an ancient Middle Eastern city. The streets are narrow, they are dusty, and you completely fill the street as you push your way through. Anybody feeling chilly this morning? Well, please, in your imagination, do not turn up the heat. It was probably a cool morning. Bartimaeus threw off his cloak, his heavy wrap. He was probably sitting there shivering. It's, it gets cold uh, in, uh, in places like Jericho. They've had snow in the Middle East just recently. What's the mood of this crowd? We're not told, but it's reasonable to speculate that there is a, a positive, bubbly mood. They are travelling with Jesus. Jesus has travelled around stirring things up. He's done fantastic miracles. He has spoken with such wisdom and eloquence. He's he's wrong-footed, the the stuffy old leaders. And now he has said he is going to Jerusalem. And he's told in a circle what's going to happen, and they haven't really got their heads around it. Maybe they are so used to hearing parables, they don't quite get it. But they know that this is significant. That this is not just another trip to visit a synagogue, to do a bit of speaking. This is confrontation time. We are going to Jerusalem. This is it. And there must be such a mood of excitement. And more and more people joining. This is it. Jesus is finally going up to Jerusalem to do the business. And it was a land of messianic hope. They were so aching to see their world change. 
And people wanted to travel with Jesus. They were excited at being with the Jesus people. And they're surging through this little town of Jericho. And up ahead is a beggar sitting in the dust by the edge of the road. I don't have to use my imagination too much on this. I get to meet blind beggars in Chad. Um, I think back, every time I go back to this story, I remember a man called Nurain. When we lived there as a family, uh, we shared our Christmas dinner with him. It's a wretched state to be in, a blind beggar sitting in the dirt. Now here he is, he's sitting there listening and he hears a commotion. And he has to ask, what is it? What's going on? So somebody told him. The thing is, if it's a riot, you want to get out of the way because you will be trampled. If it's a celebration, well, then your quid's in. You're almost certainly going to have generous people coming by. He wanted to know what was happening. And he was told, Jesus of Nazareth is coming through. And he starts shouting out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And it's clear from the fact that he he shouted and insisted on shouting, he had heard the name of Jesus before. He did not know Jesus was going to pass through. He He had gone there in the morning and taken his place with no greater expectation than than taking a bit of money to get him through. But he's clearly heard of Jesus, and he wants to meet with Jesus. And instead of Jesus being in Jericho and holding some meetings and inviting people in, Jesus is passing through rapidly. They are marching straight past, and the crowd is already going past, and he is shouting, Jesus, have mercy on me! And... We don't know the backstory, we can only guess. But this guy has been waiting, waiting for an opportunity to meet Jesus. And Jesus is marching by. And then we get to this strange bit in the story. Hopefully in your imagination you're there with your tea towel on your head. And people in the crowd say to him, excuse me old chap, would you mind being a little bit quiet? No, they say, oh you, shut up. Can it? What's going on? There is this wretched little man in the dirt, crying out, and the people following Jesus, the people excited about going with Jesus, tell him to pipe down, be quiet, don't interrupt us. Why would that be? I mean, everybody knew Jesus had a healing ministry. Didn't they want to see another miracle? Well, we don't have it spelled out. We can do some intelligent speculation. They were excited. They were caught up with doing something significant and they didn't want it to be interrupted. They didn't want Jesus to stop. They wanted him to keep going because what was ahead was more important than what was immediate. That may have been part of their thinking. And probably in with that is that every beggar along the road cried out, have mercy on me. It was a standard formula. Have mercy on me. It means any spare change, governor. And the thought that somebody wanted to stop Jesus to get a few coppers didn't really go with the mood. You know, they wanted to keep going. And they told him to shut up. You see, they had missed something. He didn't say, Oi, Jesus... Have mercy on me. Give me some coppers. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, 
if um, we take a clipboard and go wandering around Norwich Market and say, ask people, what do you think of the son of David? Most people will just be completely blank. It's not a term that resonates with us. It has no, it has no magic for us. Son of David, what does that mean? Unless you're a bit of a Bible scholar, you wouldn't know where to go for any kind of meaning. But in the first century, amongst Jewish people, indeed to this day, son of David is a, a term absolutely loaded with meaning. Son of David. The one who brings about the promises of God. The one who brings about the fulfillment of prophecy. The one who is going to be the ruler um, forever. The one who is the true Messiah. The one who saves and delivers and makes things new. All that is rolled into this son of David. Jesus has so many titles. And some of them resonate with us, some of them don't. Resonate with us and some don't. He's the son of Abraham, or the seed of Abraham, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God, light of the world, the lamb of God. And each one of these things is packed with precious meaning, if you have the background. And what we see is, Bartimaeus is not just somebody who has heard of somebody with the healing ministry, but he has come to a conviction, this Jesus is the one. He is not just somebody who can help me. He is God's chosen messenger that will change everything. He is the fulfillment of the promises of the ages. So he's actually got this real expectation. And yet, there's something missing. He needs to meet Jesus. He needs to complete it in some way. Uh, He wants his sight back, but he's looking for more than that. He believes, and yet he has not made that transaction somehow. So that's what's going on in him. And the crowd continues to pass by, and he continues to shout, and Jesus hears him. And Jesus understands. And he stops. And you can imagine the hubble-bubble of the crowd, you know, as you're going along, Jesus stops. Stop, everybody! They all stop, and chat around what's going on, all the rest of it. And he says, call him. So Jesus has already gone past him some distance, Bartimaeus is probably still shouting his head off, can't hear, call him. Now here's the thing, Bartimaeus is aching to connect with Jesus. He can't find him. Before him are all these adults standing up and he's down there in the dirt. How's he going to find Jesus? There's just people all around. He's he's not heard Jesus' voice, doesn't know what he sounds like. He just has been told he is there. And Jesus says, call him. And so you can imagine the crowd parting as somebody from the inner circle goes out and you get this lovely verse. He says, cheer up, he's calling you. And they lift him up and he throws off his cloak because it was a bit chilly. But he doesn't need his cloak, he throws his cloak away and he is guided through the crowd, held by one arm probably, because he can't see where he's going. And eventually he arrives and he hears the crowd go quiet. Can you imagine that little space that forms in the crowd? And you're in front of Jesus now, and he can't see a thing, and he hears Jesus ask, what do you want me to do for you? This is an opportunity, if it was necessary, to tell the crowd, this man is not asking for a bit of money to get through the week. This man is looking for something more. And he said, Lord, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said, your faith 
has healed you. And the Greek scholars will know, has healed you, has saved you. They're rolled into one and translators have to make a choice. Uh, He says, go, your faith has healed you. And Bartimaeus doesn't go, he stays, he follows. Here is somebody who has gone from being blind and wretched to not only having his eyes opened, but become a follower of Jesus. Now, this incident is extremely encouraging if you are someone like Bartimaeus and actually deep in your heart you know that Jesus is the one who's got the answer to your need. That Jesus is the one that God is going to use to sort you out. That Jesus is the one you need to follow. And yet, you've never quite been able to sort it out. You haven't connected. Because Jesus hears the cry of faith. That's, that's what's in this story. So Bartimaeus, it's Jesus that hears him, even though nobody else recognises it. And what does he do? He sends someone to Bartimaeus to help him get to that place. So that's a very encouraging message. If you are somebody in this crowd who wants to know Jesus, wants to meet with Jesus, and yet it's never quite come together, the Lord hears that cry in your heart. And he'll help you get there. However, it's quite a disturbing story from another side, isn't it? If, if, and most of us are, I assume, if we are eager followers of Jesus, it doesn't sound too good, does it? Shut up, you! All those excited, enthusiastic people who did not read the situation correctly and their inclination was to march on by and completely miss the fact that this man had already been prepared in some way by God. Something was already going on in his heart, and they didn't recognise it. In their case, the the phrase son of David should have resonated. Maybe they just weren't listening close enough. But often there are people around us who express their sense of need using different expressions, and we don't recognise it. Because they're not necessarily schooled in church vocabulary. They're not necessarily aware of, of how Scripture talks about things. How many Bartimaeuses, I don't know if that's the correct plural for a Bartimaeus, but how many Bartimaeuses have we passed this week? I don't know, you you can't know. Is the one near us today? Perhaps more importantly, will we be approached by one tomorrow? In the queue? At work? At a shop? A Bartimaeus. Somebody that Something is already going on in their heart. They have this desire to connect with God, to connect with Jesus, and yet they do not know how to get there. And yet you are there. You are part of his crowd. Will you recognise it? Will you be able to respond? Uh, I think back to when I was living with my family in Chad. Uh, We uh, lived in one particular town for several years, the town of Abeshe, and then we moved down to the capital, and I made trips back and forth. And I went back up to the town of Abeshe, where we'd been working. And um, there were two missionary ladies sharing a house, and they called me over and said, you must come and meet this guy who is, uh, we, we've just met recently. He's asking really good questions. We're really excited about him. What do you think? And I was introduced to this guy, Ahmed Jibreen, and I talked to him for a little while. And I said to them, I think this guy's a time waster. I think this guy is after a foreign wife and you shouldn't really 
you shouldn't indulge him too much. I mean, this guy is, uh, he's, he's, he's not what you think he is. And you know what? They didn't take any notice of me. It was great. Because I was so, so wrong. And the next time I saw him, I was doing Bible study with him. A couple of years later, I baptized him. He is now the head of the only Muslim convert church in Chad. But we are very capable of getting things wrong, of missing the signs. There I was, you know, official professional missionary, and I didn't see it. I didn't see where this guy was really coming from. And it is a good thing, not a bad thing, to recognize our fallibility, to, to acknowledge before God, actually, we're very, very good at getting it wrong. There are other Bartimaeuses around us. Think of the joy there must have been for the person that Jesus sent, who said those words, cheer up, he's calling you, and then led him by the arm into the presence of Jesus, and then you're there when his eyes open, and his face lights up, and he says, I'm coming with you. And then they walk together to Jerusalem. I mean, what a, what a thrill, what a memorable episode in your life. Wouldn't it be great to meet a Bartimaeus this week and to recognize and to get a hold of him? And That'd be good, wouldn't it? So what are we going to do? Well, one thing we can do, in a sense, I'm, rather than three, three things we can each do, we do one of three things. One thing we can do is decide today. This is something we do. We decide from now on, I am going to be intentionally more alert to things that God is doing. And the trouble is with that kind of thing is you forget it next day. So you tell somebody else that's what you're going to do. Check up on me. Make yourself accountable. I have decided that's what I'm going to do. That's one level. If you want to do that, it's great. There's another level where you actually say, Lord, I know there are people out there. Please take me to them. Now that's a much more dangerous prayer. That's not just I've decided to be more alert. That is... Okay, Lord, here is my plate, fill it. Um, in our local area in Lancashire, there's been a number of Friendship First courses, and one of the things you do on Friendship First, it's about helping Christians relate to Muslim neighbours, is if you haven't got a, a local Muslim friend, you ask God to give you one. And I'd always, as I lived in that part of the country, but I travelled all the time, I've always said, I cannot take on that kind of relationship. I know how demanding it is to have a full friendship with somebody in the Asian community. But I joined in the prayer, and two days later, the Lord gave me this big guy with a big beard and traditional clothes um, who stopped me in the street. I won't go into all the story, but we still have an ongoing friendship. Um, The Lord is working in his life. He's a very needy man. He knows he's very needy. I said, Lord, give me a Muslim. He only gave me one. And it isn't a Bartimaeus in the instantaneous thing of, you know, saved straight away following Jesus, but the Lord's definitely involved. Don't pray that prayer lightly. But I tell you, it's a good prayer to pray. The Lord wants to stretch us and all the rest of it. He's not interested in keeping us comfortable, but it's glorious, it's wonderful. The third thing is this. There are probably some here whose hearts sink at the idea how could I really help someone to come to Christ? Don't put me on the spot. Because I don't know how to do it. If this morning you are conscious that you do not know 
what you would do if you met a Bartimaeus, somebody who had an evident desire to know Christ. Well, it's good that you're aware of that need, isn't it? Find out. Talk to Alan, talk to Will, talk to somebody, say, I need help in this area. It would be great to bring somebody to Christ, but I don't know how to do it. Who can help me? Go online. Go to the bookstore. Decide now that you are going to get yourself equipped. Because you know that when it works, when it happens, it's wonderful. It's great. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to you. It's an encouragement to the church. And it's something that the Lord wants to do. Amen? Amen. May the Lord bless us and encourage us as we go forward. I shall hand back over to Mike.